On count one of involuntary manslaughter as to Madison Baldwin, we find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. On count two of involuntary manslaughter in regards to Tate Muir, we find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. On count three as to involuntary manslaughter regarding Hannah, Hannah St. Juliana, we find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. And in count four of involuntary manslaughter against Justin Schilling, we find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. That was the breaking news just less than a half an hour ago. A dejected Jennifer Crumbly closing her eyes, head slightly tilted down as the realization that she had been found guilty on all four counts of involuntary manslaughter as it stemmed from her son's actions at Oxford High School on Jan- uh, November 30th, uh, just two years ago. And with that guilty verdict comes a new precedent for parents of accused, convicted mass shooters all around the country. Uh, that's the breaking news today. It's good to have you with us. We're going to break it all down as Jennifer Crumbly has been found guilty in all four counts of involuntary manslaughter, one count for each death of the four students that were killed uh, at Oxford High School. I want to just bring in Marie Osborne, and we're going to try to break this down as best as we can. Um, Marie, we had been talking for uh, weeks as this trial had gone on, and there, there was explosive testimony on both sides where Shannon Smith, her defense was bringing Jennifer Crumbly to the stand. The prosecution uh, was was much more diligent 400 exhibits uh, put into evidence. 21 witnesses were brought to the stand. It was an extensive process, I think, carried out by Karen McDonald and her staff. What is your your reaction to this news today? Well, remember, the burden of proof, of course, is always on the prosecution. The defense did not have anything to prove. So uh, we want to state that on the onset. I think the strategy and part of the defense was that they just wanted to show this person as a human being, as a mother, who, you know, normally just uh, went about her life and had no idea that her son was about to do what he did. Uh, You know, interestingly enough, back in the late 90s when when we experienced Columbine in this country, uh, the two shooters in that case exhibited all kinds of signs and signals that um, they were having issues, mental health issues. Uh, They were even building a bomb in one of the garages and so on. And a lot of people asked that question, well, how come the parents didn't know about this? This is a question that's been asked in every single school shooting since then. Where, if it's involving a minor, a young person, in this case, uh, Ethan Crumley was 15 uh, 15 at the time, so he was very young. And so this time, Karen McDonald, the Oakland County prosecutor, wanted to get an answer. Where were the parents at all at this time? Why didn't they see the signals that were uh, clear to so many other people? Uh, They also, the defense also made the point, well, okay, they might have been clear to other people, but the fact is that the school didn't really recognize this as a a dire situation. They didn't keep him at school that day. They didn't tell uh, the Crumleys, you have to today, right now, go get mental health treatment. They strongly suggested it, but they didn't demand it. And so that was the case in a nutshell. And This is what the result is. You talked about the burden of proof, and it wasn't just that the prosecution needed to prove that Jennifer Crumbly was complicit in this effort of basically being a no-show parent. But they they took the approach of she was more interested in the horses Uh that she had under her control than her son who was crying out for help. She was more interested in sleeping around with her husband uh, with with, uh, somebody else in this affair than she was... Uh, about her son and his mental health issues and all the obvious warning signs that were were displayed. Shannon Smith, when she brought Jennifer Crumbly on, to me fumbled the ball at the ten yard line when when they were the 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 questioning was so strange in terms of what her role was as her mother. and i I think that that came to bite the defense back uh, in in this sentencing. but but you have to give credit. To Karen McDonald and her staff, they were they were vigorous in their efforts. And I, I think that they at the end of the day had enough to prove that 
that that she was a no show. I, I the precedent here is what's fascinating to me and how this will will ripple across the legal landscape across this country. I think that it's 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 a huge point here. I think it's safe to say we're going to have Todd Flood on. You're going to have him on in a few minutes, so I'm I'm sure he'll have to weigh in on this. But I'm I think it's pretty safe to say that there will likely be an appeal in this case because uh, there are a couple of things that we've even discussed ahead of time that um, we thought were issues that could be uh, taken up in appeal. Mm-hmm. But that's that's obviously for another day. And also remember, you know, James Crumley has his trial coming up in just a couple of weeks um, and some days here in Oakland County as well. Uh, the prosecution in that case, I will just pivot just a slight bit, but it'll basically be uh, pretty much presenting a very similar case than what was what we heard here. Well, and I think you're going to hear a lot, some of the same things, some of the same facts, like James had a difficult time holding jobs mm-hmm. and he was unemployed at certain times, yet he was still not uh, uh, able to catch these warning signs that Ethan was showing. Um, so I, I think that the the prosecution are going to take bits and pieces of what we heard in the Jennifer Crumbly case and use them in the James Crumbly case as well, which starts in a couple of weeks. I uh, You've seen a lot of these cases, a lot of these jury trials. What what do you think, uh, what, what was your read on the fact that uh, they basically had one full day of deliberations yesterday, then they got in today, they worked through lunch, and when I saw that they were working through lunch... They were close. It, they were close. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could start to see the smoke billowing from, from the, the rooftop. Mm-hmm. So it, it just felt like this was imminent. Um, what did you what did you make of of the the jury's participation in this? Well, we're going to hear more about that, obviously, because I'm sure some of them may be willing to do uh, interviews. Six men, six women. I wasn't in the courtroom to see any of their reactions. Uh, sometimes you can take uh, some info about like how how attentive are they? Mm-hmm. Are they writing a lot of notes? The questions they asked yesterday were interesting. One of them was they needed the definition of manslaughter. Mm-hmm. So. Again, that might have been a signal that they were actually looking at mm-hmm. a conviction, but they wanted to see a little closer if it fit exactly in there. And then they asked an, a very interesting question, uh, was the issue, why didn't the shooter himself testify? Why didn't they put them him on the stand? And because he could have, you know, he could have said, told his side, well, no, my mother did this and my mother did not do that. Mm-hmm. But they decided not to. And as you know, it was because the judge ruled that, you know, you can't put a witness on the stand that you know will take the fifth. In other words, self-incrimination, they will not testify. Mm -hmm. There may be further legal action for Ethan Cromley, so he's going to not say anything in in court. So they asked those two questions. So that was, And they they also asked about the scope of the evidence that was presented. Um, if they were able to glean anything else from outside of this trial, which I think was a good question to ask, because, again, it's it's hard not to know anything about this case. Right. Going. Yes. In. You have to be an impartial juror. And so I thought it was a I thought it was a um, a, a good job by them in, in just clarifying. Right. What can we use when we're making this decision? You somebody's life in your hands. Right. What do we use to when we make this decision? The judge says, nope, anything you heard in this courtroom, anything that I allowed is what you go on. Well, and, you know, with big trials like this, and I've covered a couple of them, most notably the Bob Beshera trial, mm-hmm. um, and the jury instructions there, Judge Vonda Evans told the jury, you know, yes, you may have heard something about this case. You know, you, you'd be living under a rock if you hadn't. But, yes, you may have heard something in this case. But what we're asking for you to do here is for you to only consider what has been presented to you in this courtroom. Do not consider anything. Don't bring anything else in here. You're just, you're only, you could have, you have prior knowledge, great, but don't bring it into this case. Yeah. Uh, Stand by. Uh, We're going to bring Todd Flood into the conversation. Uh, We'll get his reaction. Jennifer Crumbly found guilty on all four counts of involuntary manslaughter this afternoon. We'll continue the discussion next on JR Afternoon. All right, the breaking news this afternoon is Jennifer Crumbly found guilty on all four counts of involuntary manslaughter in the deaths of Madison Baldwin, Tate Meir, Hannah St. Juliana, and Justin Schilling. It is a landscape-altering decision by a jury of Jennifer Crumbly's peers to implicate her and for her potential role in the deaths of those students at the hands of of her son. 
And this brings a whole new slew of questions about precedent and what this could mean going forward. Certainly, James Crumbly, his case, which starts in days, uh, will also be impacted by this decision, I would imagine, as well. Todd Flood rejoins us once again. Todd, it's good to have you. Instant thoughts on the jury's decision here. I think it was the right decision. I, I The facts speak you know, volumes, right? It was a fact-driven case. It's, man, you know, as far as, as any case in our country, this is the first one that we've ever had with regards to a mass shooting. But it's not the first one, Chris, where a parent has been held accountable for leaving a gun out and a child grabbing that gun and uh, shooting someone else. Mm-hmm. That you know, has happened many, many times in our state. Um, it's not it's not unheard of. But here, just pay attention to the facts and the law. There was a duty. The people proved there was a duty. It was foreseeable that something reasonably foreseeable, that something bad was going to happen when you allow this kid to have a gun, especially when the most disturbing picture ever comes out by the son who paints basically a picture for everyone to see how disturbed he is and the parents don't do anything they don't tell the teachers they don't tell anybody he had or has uh, a gun we purchased him a gun Uh, a reasonable person would give some ordinary care we're not looking for sister Teresa here we're just looking for someone that would give ordinary care and do a timeout say hey son uh when mom sees that picture where's the gun because it looks the one you just drew is identical to this one it take two seconds that would have prevented all of this and the fact that she got up on the stand and was impeached and uh didn't tell the truth wasn't candid was self-serving um i think terribly terrible terrible decision to put her on the stand without having you know, uh, understanding of what she was going to say. Because if you remember, it was her lawyer that asked her, would you have changed anything? Mm -hmm. And in essence, she said, no. What about, hey, I would have never given him the gun. I would have asked, where is the gun? I mean, so many different things she could have said. But, you know, for the world to see how she thinks and how self-serving she was, uh, didn't obviously bode well for her. And, and I also applaud the jury for being diligent. They were in there taking notes. They were very thorough. They went through the evidence. Uh, it wasn't like they flew by the seat of their pants and wanted to get the heck out of there. They took uh, basically, you know, uh, 11 to 14 hours of time to, to go through this. So I'm not surprised, as, as you and I discussed before. Mm-hmm. In terms of the jury, uh, obviously you have a lot of expertise in that area and jury selection and things like that. Um, to me, I, th- I thought they did their due diligence when it came to asking the questions of the judge, when it came to the definition of manslaughter or, or just the, the, uh, the clarifications on what type of information they could use in their decision-making process. What did you, you talked about the diligence of the jury uh, during the, the hearing itself, but w- what did you make of the jury's, I guess, um, uh, 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 ability to get in that room together, discuss this, and break it down, and then come back, uh, you know, uh, less than two days later with the verdict? Well, I, I think those questions uh, that they asked, one question was very uh, telling to me. I don't, you know, I don't have firsthand knowledge of this, but I, I surmise there might have been one or two people on the jury that uh, had some reservations and uh, they needed to know that they could use alternative theories to, to find conviction, mm-hmm. either the defendant's acts or, or disjunctive, the defendant's failure to act. And so uh, that, I thought that question was telling. Uh, I thought it was also telling um, that they wanted clarification because they, they took it serious. They wanted to get it right. And uh, the, the fact that they were all taking notes and they were going through this, to me, was, um, I think, 
very important for uh, coming to the decision they came to. Uh, so I, I, I think there was probably some, some holdouts, or maybe not holdouts is the right word, but some people that needed to understand with uh, some more clarity. In terms of the precedent here, I, I thought you made a, a great point that this isn't the first time a parent's been held to account when their child does something, particularly with a firearm, if it's not locked away properly. But in terms of a mass shooting setting, in terms of what this could mean uh, in event in the event of a mass shooting at a school in a future where a minor is present, um, is this something that's going to be looked at um, by prosecutors across the country when bringing charges to a perpetrator um, that 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 there are other people outside of just the the gunman that could be found uh, uh, that that could at least be held to account. I think I think so, but every prosecutor and every police officer is driven by facts. Uh, you know, nothing but the facts, ma'am. So it's uh, the test of time, and does it have an impact for potentially? you know, future cases, I would say this, the biggest issue for mass shootings in our country, and I've I've since looked at several of them, the ones that I have found all deal with mental illness and, uh, or something's off, the prism for how they see the world is off. And I would say to you this, uh, we need to address it sooner rather than later. Mm. It's you, you look at these cases and cite me one case where you wouldn't say that human being needed to be in an institution or therapy. Mm-hmm. So here, all parents know, you know, the difference between right and wrong. It all starts at home. Sure. You, we all know that. Yeah, you got to be involved in your kids' is, lives. Yeah, exactly. The kid here, exactly, uh, here needed to uh, be in therapy, yeah. needed to have help, right? So you don't give a gun or a deadly weapon to someone that needs that. Now, let, 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 me, let me ask you this because – t- t- Sure. Uh, James Crumbly sitting in his jail cell now finding that his wife has just been – found guilty on four counts of involuntary manslaughter. He uh, holds those same charges as well. Is is, is is he shaken in his cell to a certain extent? Or, or, or do these translate? They do. They do. Uh, and obviously it's going to be difficult to pick a jury because everyone and their brother is going to hear about this verdict. So get the next jury. How does that not impact them to some degree? Mm-hmm. But they have to you know, way, let that all go. They have to not use that uh, and have a fair and impartial trial. I think what this does, Chris, more importantly, is show it shows the attorney on the other side uh, for for uh, Mr. Crumbly uh, what not to do. Sure. Uh, the the counsel. Do, do you here, uh, do you ever anticipate James Crumbly taking the stand? Uh, not if he's going to testify like that. Yeah. No. Uh, I I would imagine. Jurors like to have something to hang their hat on. They, they one way or the other, for a sure. guilty or not guilty. Yeah. And for not guilty, if the prosecution doesn't put out the elements necessary, um, you know, maybe you don't. Maybe you you make a judgment call and you mm-hmm. say, hey, listen, they haven't proved their case. Yeah. But no need for you to go on. However, um, if if there is, uh, you know, that you got to get it over the hump to get the not guilty. Uh, jurors are going to want to hear from him. Sure. And uh, he's got to be able to say, you know, how he didn't know he had, a, you know, the access to the gun. He didn't know, uh, you know, it, it, he yeah, has to uh, do uh, all, defensive, uh, you know, all of those, all those questions need to be answered. Todd, great stuff as always. Appreciate the insight. Chris, great being with you. Thank you. Yep. Todd Flood, more next on JR Afternoon. All right, I want to get your thoughts on this. Jennifer Crumbly found guilty on four counts of involuntary manslaughter. She hypothetically faces up to 60 years behind bars.
would probably be the duration of her life. And, you know, for me, it's, it's, this provides probably, uh, certainly with the, the, the Ethan Crumbly uh, decision, it, it probably does provide some relief and some justice to the families of those students. Madison Baldwin, Tate Meir, Hannah St. Juliana, and, and Justin Schilling, and all the, the students that were impacted, those hurt, those shot that lived, and have to deal with the the mental, the physical scars of that day for the rest of their lives. The the families, all the auxiliary people on the outside that are close enough to know these people that have to deal with this for the rest of their lives, their siblings, forever changed. And it's it's there probably is some sense of justice here for those people. You know, the other part of it, too, is that nobody's life is, I mean, everybody's, nothing is ever going to be the same for these people ever again. Certainly for for the families of the students killed, the families of the students hurt, teachers, I mean, everybody, their, their lives are irreparably changed forever. And you've got a family in the Crumbleys, their life is also over, over. And it's 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 absolutely gut wrenching, top to bottom. And I understand the need to hold people to account. I'm all for it, but let's not skirt around the fact that this is this is a horrifying experience for everybody all around. Everybody all around. And and the solace is people are being held to account. Um, but it doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make the days easier to, to live through. It doesn't make, you know, going on without your children easier. Um, it's just, it's all the way around. It is an awful, awful situation. And you have to credit the jury you have to give the prosecution um, a lot of credit because there were a lot of people. And look, I, I'm I'm in the boat where I, I was very. I mean, there were times when I thought, "Boy, it just feels like the prosecution has the goods. If they're going to bring these type of charges, they got the goods." And then there were times when I thought, "Boy, this is going to be really difficult to prove." And and it and I think it still was difficult to prove. But at the end of the day, nobody's nobody's carrying on. It's not business as usual for anybody. It, it, it is a very sad day. It's a sad day that we as a community have to relive. It's a sad day when, when people's lives are irreparably changed forever. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Dave in Rochester kicks us off today. What's up, Dave? Hey, Chris, do you recall during that testimony, this is Jennifer Crumley under oath. Mm -hmm. She swore on the Bible that she was a hypervigilant helicopter mother. One, at that point, she was a judge said, oh, if we knew that, we wouldn't have brought charges and dismissed the charges at that point. Yeah. I mean, she can't lie under oath, can she? No, but I don't know that the perjury charge really matters at this point. I mean, no, I, no, I, okay. So you know, you're saying I, that I, might not have been true. No, no, I'm saying that that you know that may have been her perception of herself. Oh, okay. So the jury should not have necessarily bought that based on the evidence and facts that uh, undermine that totally. I mean, Dave, I don't know that the jury bought anything that she said. Secondly, would you see the film clip of when her were at the school? Okay, twenty. That was only twenty six months earlier. That woman that was on trial. You tried to tell they were the same two people. In in regards to what? It's Jennifer Crumley. They look, that doesn't even look anything close to Jennifer Crumley. You mean physically? 
Yes. No, there is no doubt that Jennifer Crumbly has undergone a complete physical transformation. Yeah, I mean, I heard of Benjamin Button and reverse Benjamin Button, but never in 26 months. No. I I mean, I put on weight all sorts of aging over the many years, but my God, in 26 months, that kind of transformation? Yeah, no, it it was shocking. I mean, it was something that we discussed here. It was when, when we first saw her come out for this trial, it was like, oh, my God, who is that? I mean, it, no, you're right. She looked like a completely different person. Completely different person. Like a mom, didn't she? When, you know, like a real mom when she was on trial as opposed to, you know, someone who maybe not caring about her son and playing on the side, right? Well, I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know what a real mom looks like. I mean, I know what a real mom acts like. I know what a real mom is supposed to do. I know what a real mom is supposed to, how they're supposed to care for, for their children. You know, I got a real mom. My wife's a real mom. Marie Osborne's a real mom, right? Like I, I, I know real moms. I know what they look like. I don't, I don't, I, I don't know that there is a, a distinct look to a mom. I think there's, I think it's how they act. It's how they carry themselves. I, um, I, I just, I think that when it comes to, look, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if that was, I mean, she, she looked totally different. There's a lot of stress, obviously, going on. You're facing, basically the rest of your life in prison and sentencing scheduled for April 9th. So we'll get a better idea of what her, her sentencing will look like, but there's certainly a lot of stress there. There's no doubt. I imagine there will be an appeal. I imagine that, that as Todd flood put this, and if you missed our interview with him, the great voice.com WJR.com that, that this probably signals a certain outcome for James Crumbly as well. You know, I think when you're a, when you are a family, when you have parents in the home, any caretaker in the home, there is a there is an expectation of you know the basic needs, but but involvement. And what the prosecution was able to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt to the jury is that is that the opposite occurred in the Crumbly home. That they were not present. That they did not pay attention to the signs that they were not able to act or they weren't willing to act on the signs that were there. And I, and I think that's where the jury looks at Jennifer Crumpley and says, you didn't do enough. You could have done something. Maybe anything would have altered Ethan Crumbley's future plans. Maybe anything, maybe the smallest thing would have helped. And maybe not, but at the end of the day, your role as a parent is to do everything you can for your children, to get them the help that they need, to allow them to succeed under whatever circumstances they are, they're dealt with. I'd love to continue to take your calls on this. If you have thoughts, this is a groundbreaking case in my mind, groundbreaking. It is precedent setting. Look, not every mass shooting going forward will will fall under this umbrella will need to use what happened in the crumbly case as precedent but but there will be another case like this make no mistake about it there will be and they will point the prosecution certainly will point to the fact that that it can be done that a parent can be held accountable in in a case like this 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Got to take a break. More next on JR Afternoon. All right, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. What was that, Brian? Go ahead, tell me again. All right. And w- w- uh, this is a a child psychologist, she family is a physi- psychologist. Yes, a family psychologist. She's right. a physician psychologist. All right. So and- we're going to talk to somebody coming up just about the family dynamic look you know i i'm i'm dealing with this now a five and two and and you know the 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 role that we play in their lives you know i i feel you know jennifer crumbly saying she's a helicopter player i I probably am a helicopter parent more so than uh you know my parents when i was growing up i think it's a little bit of the sign of the times i try not to be that way but but i i certainly am um Involved. I mean, we, you have to be involved. 
You have to be involved in, in everything that your children are doing. Well, it's easy to say, but it's harder to do. In this case, I think that was a big sticking point for the jury is that they, Jennifer Crumbly didn't do everything that, that she could have. She ignored signs of a mental struggle, mental issues. And had she been present, had she been engaged, she would have been able to, to get the, son, her, the help her son needed. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Tim's in his truck. He joins us. Hey, Timmy. Hey, how you doing? Good, man. Good. Uh, I just, I'm afraid they opened Pandora's box here. Um, as, now granted, I'm not a parent. I'll stress that point. Mm-hmm. But what if you give your kid a car and he has a bad day and... I hate to even say this, sure. but he runs into uh, kids at a bus stop, mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Now, those parents didn't intend on that, and it can be just as much of a, a weapon as that gun was, depending on your use for that item. So that's what kind of scares me. Um, you know, where do you draw that line as to did the parents really foresee this? Now, if they foresaw this, that changes everything. But from what now, and I could be wrong on this, but I thought they said that they thought like he was hearing voices, but it was kind of a running joke. He thought the house was haunted and that type thing. Again, now, who's telling the truth? I guess only God knows. Well, but... Tim, Tim, I mean, I, I, the, the reality here is, is there's no doubt that this will, be, this will be looked at in future cases. Not all cases is the same. Not, not every case is the same. Not all cases are created equal, right? And, and I think that Todd Flood said it, uh, if you missed our interview with him, thegreatvoice.com, that, that the reality is, is that, it will be utilized, but prosecutors in cases follow the facts. They follow the facts of the case. And if the facts lead to, in your scenario, well, kid is, has got mental issues, probably shouldn't be behind the wheel. Parents get him a car anyway, and he does something reckless and, and kills somebody. Maybe that is, maybe that is, I mean, just gross negligence by the parent. It's very possible. But I don't know that this this case, this I mean, it absolutely was about the gun. But in the, in the Jennifer Crumbly case, it was you ignored all the signs of getting your, your child help. You weren't there. You were too busy gallivanting with your side piece. You were too busy feeding the horses hay at the barn, whatever it was that she wasn't there. And the prosecution, in the jury's eyes, they proved gross negligence. They proved that she was a no-show. And to top it all off, the cherry on top of this horrific Sunday is that you go out and you buy your son a firearm. And I think that's... That's the the real crux of this, is that the jury thought and the prosecution proved that she was a no-show. But being present for your children is, is it's it's the only thing I think as a parent, you you want to bring your children up to be productive members of society. You want them to be good people, you want them to have a moral compass, you want them to be compassionate and happy and loving and and everything that you want to, whatever you think that model person should be. But in order to do that, you have to be there for your children. You have to be there through the good times and the hard times. And Dr. Brooke Weingarten uh, with the Birmingham Maple Clinic joins us. Uh, Doc, it's good to have you. Hi, thanks for having me. So um, obviously it's a tough day. Uh, Jennifer Crumbly found guilty in all four counts of involuntary manslaughter. And the jury uh, in that decision-making... Uh, to me, it was the fact that she, that they thought, because of the prosecution's evidence, that she wasn't a an engaged 
parent. Um, and when you are dealing with family members, children who have mental health issues, how important is that connection to your child? Yes, it's important, but in terms of the nurturing, the the care, I have to imagine it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredibly important. Absolutely. I mean, I think it, not just with children that have mental, you know, mental challenges or psychiatric challenges. I think that it's important with any parent in their child to be present and, and know what their children are, you know, know them as people so that you can recognize if they're not being themselves or if something is not right. You know, know who their friends are, know who they talk to and what they're doing. And, and yes, that means, you know, sometimes checking their social media and checking their phones and checking in with your children, spending time with them to know how, how they're doing. And if there's anything that feels that they're needing extra support, making sure that you're providing that or at least seeking out the right place to provide that for them. You know, I think as parents, we, 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 we want to think of our children as, um, being perfect, right? Nothing is wrong about them. Nothing is off. They, they are perfect as they are. But sometimes that ability to to put that bias aside and look at them as a person or as somebody who's dealing with something can can be valuable down the road in a number of ways. And certainly um, getting that intervention, getting that help, talking to a, a, a psychiatrist like yourself um, mm -hmm. can be really valuable in in that maybe you nip something in the bud early on. And it doesn't spiral into something else. How, how important is that? that ability for a parent to be able to see something from their children to go, you know what, we, we got we to gotta address this. Absolutely. I think that it's, it's extremely vital. And you may hear that from your child themselves. They may say that they'd like to get some extra help or show you that they need some extra help. It may come from a teacher or a friend or from your own observations. But absolutely, your child can still be perfect and struggle with you know, anxiety or depression. But I guess or there's still a stigma, right, with, with, yeah, with some yeah, of these is, issues. There is and there isn't. I mean, I think this is a time now where lots of kids, and I tell my patients all the time, you know, I, I see kids all day long that have different struggles and that still grow up to lead successful, professional, wonderful, happy lives because they were addressing things that they were needing help with. And it makes them more compassionate as, members of society, as parents themselves, as, you know, they, because they understand. What's the, what's the, the concern that you hear from parents most often? If, 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 uh, if, if they're, they're trying to connect with their children or trying to find a way to, to get them help, what's, what's the most uh, common things you hear these days? I mean, there certainly are some parents that struggle with the idea of, well, I don't want medicine or I don't like therapy mm. or it doesn't work. And, there are certainly are people that have those resistances and there's some kids that feel resistant and well, I don't want to do it. It doesn't work, but really, you know, it comes a time that you know that this is something that is, is helpful. It's evidence-based that, you know, talking with a therapist or working with a psychiatrist or sometimes medication is, it can be very helpful. Mm. And just like you would if you had, uh, you know, strep throat or if you sure. had diabetes or if you had anything else, you address it and so that you can move on. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get nervous about it because it's something that's more invisible. You can't always see it, um, but it's still just as present. And well, and, so and breaking down those barriers are so important with the stigma of, of all of these issues. Dr. Brooke Weingarten, thank you so much for your time. I know it was last minute, but we appreciate uh, your insight. Got to take a break. More next. All right, 3 o'clock hour, the breaking news today. Jennifer Crumbly charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter in connection to her son's deadly massacre at Oxford High School two years ago, a little over two years ago. Uh, and Jennifer Crumbly sat in the court today as the jury read off their decision in that case. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne joins us to recap it all. Hi, Marie. And Chris, as you know, Jennifer Crumley becoming the first parent in the United States to be found guilty of involuntary manslaughter for a mass shooting at a school committed by her son, as you said. Prosecutors had this burden of proving that Crumley 
caused the deaths of 17-year-old Madison Baldwin, 16-year-old Tate Muir, 14-year-old Hannah St. Juliana, and 17-year-old Justin Schilling, even though it was her son who actually pulled the trigger. Uh, Four Oxford High School students, they were shot and killed by Crumley's son on November 30th, 2021. Now, for Crumley to be guilty of involuntary manslaughter, the jurors had to figure out if she was caught, if the, she caused the deaths of those students by either failing to provide reasonable care or being grossly negligent in providing care. And reasonable care involves a parent's duty to take action to control their child when it's necessary to prevent harm. Negligence, on the other hand, means willfully disregarding the results um, uh, to others that might result in the act uh, from an act or a failure to act. So in other words, she just ignored it. Prosecutors had to show that Crumley knew or should have known that her son was in danger and could be a danger to others. And uh, and then again, the issue of the gun. Jennifer Crumley took the stand in her own defense. She said she never foresaw her uh, son's deadly actions. She said her son didn't show any signs of me being mentally ill. She said that while she and her husband bought their son that gun, he was only allowed to use it at a shooting range with his dad. She also said that it was her husband's responsibility to secure and store that gun. And Chris, we can't forget her husband, James Crumley, will face a separate trial in the very near future, just about two weeks from now. Uh, they were going to be uh, tried together, but they asked for separate trials. She faces now 60 years in prison. She'll be sentenced the first week in April. You know, I, I, I had gone through different stages in this case where I just I didn't I didn't know how to read it. I, I thought it was going to be very difficult for the prosecution to prove gross negligence or to be able to prove that they were just no shows. And, and I still, you know, think that when you're dealing with evidence and select evidence, um, it can be difficult to to really prove that. But when when a gun is involved and you're buying it for somebody who's underage that can't buy a weapon themselves um, and there, there seem to be obvious mental health issues uh, and signs there. I mean, you put those together, and, and I think that that's going to impact anybody that's listening to a case. I think that's what the defense uh, went on, that they were trying to show that she uh, did care about her son, that she did talk about him often, that she, uh, in, you know, worked with him and so forth. But that wasn't enough. Was it, was, and was she seeing what was really going on with her son. That was the other thing. And I think prosecutors, of course, really made their case on that. If you'll remember in the Sandy Hook uh, school shooting, uh, in which I think it was 27 youngsters were killed, the mother in that case um, had bought her son multiple weapons. He had a whole stash of weapons in his room. She was a teacher there, right? She was, uh, she had been, yes, she was a teacher and she, but she bought him all these weapons, and he had blacked out all the windows in his room, and he ex- had exhibited these very strange behaviors. Now, of course, he was killed her first in this shooting rampage, so of course she'll never have the ability to answer to any of these questions. But a lot of people asked, who who would do that? Who would buy a a gun for somebody clearly who had mental health issues? You know, the other part here, uh, it's hard to, you know, move on from this because it's it is so the the, the historical precedent, I think, is going to be great. Um, but in, in the sense that both Jennifer and James were going to mount their defense jointly, then they split not long ago. And then you started to see some of the cracks in their relationship where. Jennifer was was putting the onus on her husband of safely storing the firearm that they had purchased for for Ethan um, that obviously was not secured properly, that he was able to get his hands on it and then go and, and kill four people and injure many others. That is going to be an interesting dichotomy in these two cases, because Jennifer had the ability to put some of these some of the blame potentially on James. And now with her being found guilty, um, it it feels like we're going to get a kind of or a deja vu when when James goes. To I don't think there was any uh, question that the defense had to go on 
They had to uh, split. Had to make it like James Crumley was in charge of the mm-hmm. gun and he failed to in his duty. Now, I have a sense that at his trial, the prosecution will go after the fact that, um, you know, your wife was the one who was working. She had a full-time job and you did not. And what were you doing? Why couldn't you recognize that there was this growing problem within your household? Yeah. Uh, an interesting case, uh, certainly. Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, all right. If you want to weigh in on this, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. You can call or you can text that number. I want to get uh, a few of those in here, Brian, if we could. A couple of text messages. Oh, sorry. You're on the, you're on the phone. You're working the phones. I apologize. I was, but that's okay. <laughs> I should be paying attention to what I'm doing. Well, what, what do we got going on on the text line? Uh, on the text line, you got a, a couple interesting ones here. Um, let me find it. Our justice system is broken, mm. which I find a little odd, but whatever. Um, I don't... Is it ahead. broken? I mean... I think it worked like it's supposed to. I think it worked exactly like it's supposed yeah. to. Um, you have this, and now the door will be wide open to put parents in jail for any crime their kids commit. I just... See, I don't believe that. I don't I don't believe that. Again, there has to be there has to be facts. There has to be evidence that leads you to somebody being culpable. Right. right? It, 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 there is information that would be made available that would lead to that would paint a picture of you being culpable. I don't believe that every parent is going to be. You know, I don't believe that every parent's going to be held to account for everything their kid does. I I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I do believe when the facts are there, just like in in any other case, if you, if, how many times have we seen in Michigan where somebody leaves a gun out on the the nightstand and uh, a four, four, uh, you know, a fourth grader walks in and grabs a gun and shoots, uh, you know, Themselves their or aunt someone and uncle. Else, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, and, and who's to blame? It ain't the fourth grader. Right. It's, it's whoever's right. supposed to be taking care of the weapon. So it's not unheard of that, that, that the parent or the guardian is held to account for something that their children does. Yeah. But if the facts lead you in that direction, then that's what it'll be. And we didn't see all the facts. The jury did. You well, know, sure, sure. We saw bits and pieces, sure, and sure. everybody, all of us are jury jurors. Here's another good one. It says, thank you, jury, for putting all parents on notice for the accountability the liberal Democrats tossed out years ago. It's like the Crumblies had absolutely no intent to kill anyone. This verdict is what society wanted. That's from our buddy Rod in Plymouth. On some level, he's correct. About about this is what society wanted. I think he's correct that the people are now saying, if you're going to hand your child a gun, and he's under under the age of eighteen, I assume when he's an adult, you got responsibility for that. If he goes sure. takes that gun and does sure. something, you have to. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know what society, like quote unquote, society's yeah. outlook on this is. Right. Like my my hunches, I think a lot of people probably are with me where. You could see both sides of the coin. Oh, absolutely. Like, I could see absolutely how that jury walks in there and says not guilty. And I think you have And to... I could absolutely, and when they came back today and said guilty, I wasn't surprised. I could see absolutely both sides. And as a parent, you have to be, I, I can only imagine, if your child is got a mental illness and it is this deeply disturbed sort of person, you're going to deny that. You can't imagine your kid is going to be, you don't, I can, you know what I'm saying? You don't want to come to the realization. Exactly. You're going to be in denial that my child is 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 really, really struggling. Yes, and I got to have some help for him. That's got to be difficult for a parent. It is. So I can imagine sure. that, too. I see sure. that side of it, too. But you don't buy somebody who you think is struggling a gun. I'm, I'm sorry. He's just like, it's like you said, the fourth but, grader but gets a gun. But according to Jennifer Crumbly, she didn't think there were major issues. Well, then like I think that's that's where you you're you're not self aware enough to see the signs. Maybe not, and that's that's an at argument least my you can at make. least my read. That's, that's my read. That's my interpretation right. of what the the prosecution laid out and showed that that this is somebody who, uh, by her testimony, yeah, this is somebody that didn't see the signs. Yeah, that we all from the outside go. Oh, or, or did she not obvious. see the signs, or was she? 
blinding herself. Blind, maybe, signs. maybe, and I, and, maybe you got the blinders on. And I understand that you would never want to see your child as that kind of, you know, disturbed. All right, we got to take a break. We will hear from Todd Flood next on JR Afternoon. All right, I got a full rack of lines here. One line open, 800-859-0957. If you want to weigh in on the announcement today in court that Jennifer Crumbly has been found guilty on all four counts of involuntary manslaughter, 800-859-0957. You can call or text that number. Brian, let's get a couple of those right off the top, then we'll get to the calls. Marty and Fenton says, based on the evidence we've seen, when will the school be prosecuted? I, I, well, look, oh, that's a whole other ball of wax. But, yes, I mean, the report that came out from Guidepost showed that there was multiple lapses at multiple levels. The infrastructure that wasn't there, the best practices weren't there when it came to who, who up the chain of command was going to handle this because every, everybody on the rung of those ladders thought the person above them was going to handle it, and nobody did. Yep, you got another one here. Whoever has their name on the gun registration is responsible for that particular firearm, in this case, the pistol. I own several handguns. To purchase one legally, it has to be registered to somebody. The parent that has a name, and there could only be one, it's the person that should be tried for involuntary manslaughter. So again, that obviously the 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 gun is a, an important piece here. But in this case, it was the parents' inaction. It was the parents' uh, I don't know if it was just blindness or obliviousness to the fact that their son was ill. Their their son had issues. And it was the fact that they did not get him the help he needed paired with the fact that a gun was purchased for him through the parents. 800-859-0957 to the phones. Joe's in Jackson. What up, Joe? Hey, Chris. How are you? Hey, good. Yeah, uh, the the text there um, about the gun registration form, um, I was going to touch on that because Ethan's not old enough to purchase a gun. Correct. So one of the parents had to do it. And one of the questions on the form is, are you going to purchase this gun for yourself? If you say no and you're buying it for somebody else, they can't sell it to you and you can't buy it. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think that, you know, as a parent, you can be held responsible for all of the things that your kids may do. I mean, for example, you know, if your kid goes out and throws snowballs at cars and somebody gets in an accident and hurt or worse, are you responsible for that? Well, no, but again, so, I, again, I, I think, and Joe, I, I get it. I understand and, and the, the idea of opening Pandora's box and, and having parents be, be held accountable for everything their kids do. I, I think for a certain, to a certain extent, you are responsible, right? To a, to a reasonable degree, you're responsible for what your kid does. But it, it's all fact-driven. It's all based on the evidence. If the, if, again, these are all hypotheticals, but it's like if a kid's like, I'm going to go throw snowballs at cars and something happens, well, the intent was there. And if the parent knew about it, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's so hard to go through down all these scenarios. Uh, and I appreciate mm-hmm. the call, Joe. But it's like it's those situations where all of these are going to be fact-driven. Everything is going to be based on the the idea that um, what did the parents know? Did they know that that their child was in a in a position that they were they were not well mentally? They were not they were not well, and pair that with the fact that that there was culpability on the parents' behalf. I think that's where you get into well, there's a precedent here, but it, this is not going to fit in all cases. Paul's in Brighton. What up, Paul? Paulie? Uh, having having emotional issues is not the same as being mentally ill. And if Ethan Crombley were mentally ill, he would have been incompetent to stand trial, and a judge would have never taken a guilty plea from him. But we do now have red flag laws in Michigan, which would address someone with that emotional issues. And we also have safe storage laws now. And as Nikki Haley said just uh, recently, 80% of school shootings, the gun comes from the shooter's home. So hell yeah, I think uh, people who have guns at home better better you know they better listen up that they could be held liable if that gun gets into the hand of their minor child and it's it's used for no good. So you think the jury got it right here? Well, you know what? I'm surprised that they were able to make it go that the jury was going to go that way. 
But now that they have, uh, you know, it was a tough. I, I think it was a, a, it was a tough balance to tip. But now that they yeah. have, and now that we have the laws that we should have had when that shooting took place, you better watch out. If you've got a gun in your home, you better keep it away from kids. Well, certainly, and you know, Paul, I think the 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 part of that is like parents. Uh, not, not parents. I think responsible gun owners. Yeah, they they do their do they they do the right things. They do what needs to be done to protect those weapons. Like they know they understand what what that what that thing is. They respect it. Yeah, I didn't get that sense in the Crumbly case. Yeah, well, no. Apparently, since the father bought the gun, I don't know. As the previous caller said, you can't buy it for the kid because of the. Uh, Correct. Yeah. So, but it was it was that the kid was told that this is for you. You can use it. But, but I mean, Paulie took him with him to the gun to the gun shop. I mean, he took it. We took him with him. Yeah. Yeah. But they obviously the father bought it of the gun shop when they sold it. They said this is for him. Correct. So, but he he kept it in the top drawer of the dresser where the kid could get it. So yeah. now we have safe storage laws that there it whether you like them or not, it will hold people accountable if that gun gets into the kid's hand and he yeah. takes the school and shoots people. All right, Paul, good stuff. Appreciate the call. Brian's in Shelby Township. Hello, Brian. Ah, thank you. Yeah. Um, I've been following this kind of somewhat closely, and the one thing that I keep going over and over and over is they tried the young man as an adult. Mm-hmm. Now, he's going to do life in prison. He was 15 years old. But they're saying he was mature enough to know what he did was wrong. Now they're trying the parents, saying the child was immature and couldn't have a gun. I, I, I'm not arguing or you know for or against the verdict. I'm a gun owner; mine are locked up. Mm-hmm. So, um, as far in, in that respect, I'm a parent too, and my heart goes out to both sides. But now, how do you how do you justify saying on one one trial at 15 years old he's mature enough? He made an adult decision, mm-hmm. but then on the the, the you pulled the page and you're saying that the parents were responsible because the child was immature. Well, so and, so it's not necessarily about maturity, right? It's 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 the I've fact heard that, that over and over. Yeah, no, and, and I and they may have used that word, but it's it's more about it's more about that that he made the adult decision. I mean look I don't I don't know that anybody really disagrees with the fact that he should have been tried as an adult and the the sentence fits the crime, right? But but it's that the parents who are legal guardians of him until he's 18 years old, they have a responsibility as a parent to do the basic, to do basic things to ensure that their child is of sound mind, sound body, and, and is, is able to separate uh, rational thoughts from irrational thoughts. And he wasn't able to do that. So, so just, so just because, and, and, and I know you're, and I get your point. Like I get it. But at the same time, it's like, did they do enough? Did they do their part? He can make an adult decision and be competent to stand trial. But did they do their part? The jury says no. Brian, appreciate the call. Got to take a break. Your calls, your texts, next on JR Afternoon. All right, I want to round out the show with more of your thoughts on the news today. Jennifer Crumbly found guilty on all four counts of involuntary manslaughter as it Stems from her son's deadly shooting in Oxford High School just over two years ago. Let's go to Matt and Grosseal. What's up, Matty? Hey, Chris. How are you? Good. Just a comment. Where Where does this stop? This should make every parent in the United States fearful. I mean, where do, does this mean that I have to lock up my car keys? Or I bought my son a car and he gets into an accident and kills somebody? Or I bought my son a baseball and he threw it and hit a kid in the head and he falls down and cracks his skull and dies. This is regardless of, I'm not trying to condone or mention anything about the trial. The outcome of this could be extremely dangerous for every parent or, or for that matter, anybody that buys anybody, anything. Yeah, Matt, I, I, I don't know if, I don't know if, if, if any of these things are comparable. Right. And again, it's all going to depend on the facts of a case like like in this case, Ethan wasn't even old enough to own a gun. They bought him a gun, but they couldn't buy it for him even because he wasn't of age. Right. And so Chris, when I was 12 years old, I belonged to a travel gun club 
we traveled from sportsman's clubs to sportsman's clubs like a bowling team. Yep. And we, you know, shot target 22, and I was brought up with weapons. So to say that. Okay, but Matt, did you legally own your, did you legally own those guns that you shot, or did your dad own them, or did your parents own them? A long rifle, I could. Okay, okay. The pistol, no. But I was also brought up that, hey, if you want a pistol, when you do get old enough, you got to keep your nose clean and you got to do things correct. Well, Matt, you respected it. So, you 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 treated it as the tool that it is. It's it is a it is a weapon, but you treated it as serious as it should be treated. Okay, so a car can be a weapon. Where where do absolutely we where, the, where, who again, the line Matt? I don't believe this is the gun issue. This is more about the parents not being there for their son. The gun is the is the instrument that that created the havoc and the nightmare scenario that we deal with, but but it's the the reality that the that the 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 issue that the jury had to mull over is that was this mother a mother? Was she there for her son? Did she recognize that he was troubled? Did she do anything with that information? And on all at all counts. The jury said that that she was not, she did not do everything she could for her son. What kind of evidence came out before this incident at school when they were called in and the school said, nope, you know, he's he's welcome to stay. Mm-hmm. The parents didn't have to take him. What evidence before this that he had ever showed signs of that? I, I wish I would have followed the, tri- the trial. But well, I mean, there were signs of him looking... There was him looking up bullets in school, like Googling bullets I, in school, and there was. I searched for I searched for ammo for the best deal I could when I was a kid. That's immaterial. I mean, that, that doesn't. Matt, should anything. he be looking for bullets in school? Should he be looking at bullets in school? No, the answer is no. The answer is no. I mean, what are we debating here? That's. I get it. I get it. You're a you're a responsible gun owner. The Crumblies were not. The Crumblies were irresponsible gun owners. And at the end of the day, their son killed four people in his school, hurt many others, irreparably changed other people's lives, and and they were not responsible. And the jury said that the parents weren't responsible parents either. Let's go to Leroy Monroe. What's up, Leroy? How you doing, sir? Hey. Um, my problem with all this is this. The schools and the government tells us that our kids at 12, 13, 14 can go to school, tell the teachers that they want to change their sex life. To me, that's a mental problem. Parents have no right to know about that because the schools and the government said, they're old enough to make their own decision. This young man, right or wrong, on the parents, had a gun. I grew up with guns like the last gentleman did. I knew from the age of six, if I touched one of those rifles, I'd get my ass whooped. I grew up with loaded guns in the house. I was trained. You do not touch them. At 14 years old, I owned my own rifle. Yes, I went deer hunting. I am a eligible hunter. But, as you just said, I grew up with guns. This gentleman bought his son a gun. Pistol, rifle, it didn't matter. If the kid was going to commit murder, he was going to commit murder. With a gun, with a knife, with something. He has a mental issue. My problem with all this is this. The liberals want us to say our teenagers have all the rights in the world and a parent has nothing to say about it. But... If the kid does something wrong... Leroy, 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 with with all due respect, with all due respect, that has nothing to do with this. It's just just nothing. It's just nothing. So I'm going to move on. Lori's in Detroit. Hey, Lori. Hi. um, Thanks for having me on. Uh, I 100% agree with the guilty verdict. The thing is, is during her testimony, she stated that there was no evidence of any mental illness. Uh, she stated that in the back of the cop car, and, and that's utter, utterly a lie. When your son texts you, he's seeing demons. He's texting you that there are, are covered clothing on their own. He writes in his journal that he asked them multiple times for help. 
that is all indicative of somebody needing a mental investment or mental health. When she received that picture the day of the meeting with the school, Mm -hmm. um, she knew he had a gun. She didn't disclose any of that. And she also knew, you know, blood everywhere, the thoughts won't stop. How can she say as a mom or a father in that situation, uh, how can they say they had no idea or indication of mental illness? They absolutely did. They bought him a gun. They bought him the tools to just cause this heinous, awful crime. And I 100% agree with the guilty verdict. Yeah, Lori, I go back to that. That's the moment for me in all of this where everything could have changed. He's sitting in that counselor's office. They have the sheet in front of them, and there is a conversation with the parents who have been called in, and they say, you got to take your kid home, and they say, no, we're at work. We can't We can't take him in. We can't take him somewhere today because we're working. Meanwhile, he has the gun in his backpack. They leave, and all hell breaks loose. Like, that is the moment where a parent says, we got we to get help. This is not normal behavior. This is not, this is, this is not okay. And you take your kid out of school and you get him help and then you go about it that way. But it's, to me, it's that moment. It's that precise moment when the parents could have done something and they didn't. And I think that, that certainly had to play in with what the jury had to decide in this case and partly what the prosecution laid out on the table. All right, it's going to do it for us today. Uh, We didn't uh, get to everything we wanted to today. Obviously, breaking news took over. Jennifer Crubley found guilty in all four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Mitch Album and the crew coming up next right here on WJR. See you tomorrow.